Hello, this is Matt Hale presenting Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM. Today, I'll be discussing with Peter Suchin, Colin Perry and Dave Beach, two reviews uh, written by Colin and Peter of exhibitions and a book review, um, which is a book by Roger Scruton called Beauty, which is uh, reviewed by Dave Beach. Um, just before I go ahead, though, I want to very quickly promote our subscription to Art Monthly magazine, which is a 10-issue-per-year subscription, and you can get a 30% discount if you email subs at artmonthly.co.uk with the word resonance in it, and you will then get the subscription for £30, which is quite a saving. Um, let's just start by talking about the reviews um, that Colin and Peter wrote. I'll start with Colin. Um, his review was of a show at Innova. Um, Colin, just uh, fill us in on what was the exhibition? Who who was it? Um, it was an exhibition by um, a guy called Shen Shijian. It was a film, basically, quite a cinematic style film, sweeping Tarkovsky-like film right. set in a, in a factory, um, a disused factory in in Taiwan. Taiwan, right? Yeah. It was it was a sort of interesting film in that it placed. Um, the emptiness of uh, the shift in global business right. in in Taiwan. A lot of it has now moved to China, to mainland China. Right. Um, and it it was a sort of very sad feeling film. It was sort of. You a, think that was his intention was yeah, to present a kind yeah. of loss or emptiness. There was this this sense of emptiness and forlorn sort of quality to it. Yeah. The main thing that marked it out was the complete lack of sound, which was also contributed to this sense of loss yes, yes. and emptiness. Yeah, was it was it colour? Um, yeah, it was. It was uh, sort of a mixture of uh, contemporary footage that had had been shot with these former workers, in you know, these seamstresses in the what, factory. Sort of, the unemployed had come back to be used within by the artist yeah. to make the film about themselves in a way, would you say? Yeah, basically he'd got a group of former seamstresses who'd worked in the factory to come back to this vast hangar-like space that he'd then set up um, the sewing machines as they would have been yep. used. Yep. And they occupied the space as they would have done in a former life. Um, they, they're largely unemployed people now, so there was this continual sense of lost, some, nothing had replaced their, sure. their former existence. Sure. And then that was intercut with archival footage that um, had been taken by uh, Shen Shijian from the 1960s and um, 70s. And, and of, what was that all? Of factory workers, and it was all very industrious, and everybody's rushing around, right. and, and people have this happiness on, on their faces as they rush into work. Do, were <laughs> they propaganda sort of, films, or were they just really happy? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they had that sort of look of, of propaganda films. There was, there was people sort of cycling into work, and all these women sort of rushing into their dormitories, which were the dormitories that they'd stay in whilst they were working in the factories. Yeah. So it sort of set up a polarity, then, between the, the, the now and the emptiness, and then this opposite, fulfilled active t time in the part are lost that's what they'd lost yeah it, it sounds quite simplistic really it it was simplistic but it was it, it was beautifully done i think if we're going to talk about beauty later on with, yeah we uh, are we uh, are which is um a theme of of today's uh show but yeah it it 
it did have a quality that was surprisingly that beauty sort of took it somewhere else interesting the artist um has previously done it was previously known for very shocking images that he di digitally manipulated of sort of torture scenes from imperial china of you know these um people being slit open in various gruesome ways and oh my God. And, and he he digitally manipulated them so there was several heads on each figure and it was you know quite Jake and Dina's Chapman looking sounds very different but all the faces were his own which was it, right. very crass really yeah, yeah. Um, so this was actually quite a surprise to see yeah. this this yeah. work yeah was there other work in the exhibition as well that, but, but there was, was another artist I yeah think. That, that was the only work by Chen Shijian. Um there's mm. also a work by a really interesting um, relatively young Indian artist called NS Harsha yeah um, which was also themed along the lines of factories and sewing um they did, it's installed a lot of sewing machines, haven't they? 192 treadle sewing machines. Treadle is the old-fashioned, you know, foot. Yeah, you rock foot. your foot, yeah, don't you, to make it yeah. work, yeah. So so it's quite a... It has this look of a very third world, I'd guess, um, look, looking factory setup. Yeah. Um, how I'd imagine it would be anyway. Yeah, and it, national flags, you've, you say, as well. Yeah, the um, exhibition is called Nations, yeah. and there's flags from around the world which appear to have been made on the treadle mills. Yeah. Um, it was uh, originally shown at Sharjah Biennial uh, okay. last year. And it's it's quite a powerfully set Was up. it a good pairing? I mean, it's, they, there's obviously, there's, there's literally the sewing machine is a link. Because did it, did it look like one person's work, all of it, really? Or did it actually still... Did, did they look... Somehow, was it different? I mean, you know, the dip between the two artists? Yeah, they, they did feel very different. And what they sort of... What they really emphasised was the fact that it's a really obvious fact, obviously, that things are made outside of the West. That you know, that sure. they're they're made in India or in Taiwan or now mainland China rather than Taiwan. Yeah. Um, so it really sort of the combination of the two really made you think about how things are made, where things yeah. are made. Were the national flags all different countries? Yes. Different nations. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's probably obvious. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you, just um, you also mentioned. Um, quite humorously at the end of your piece about other films however which have included factory you actually use the word factory based contemporary artworks which is sort of like a new <laughs> form of uh... well yeah it did strike me and it is a, possibly a slightly, yeah, slightly that... flippant comment but it does have something no but did you think there was some you, you kind of do mention somebody who you thought was really good as a way of saying like maybe what was lacking in this work was done better perhaps by um another artist um, i'm i'm thinking of the in the last uh, Line, I think you mentioned someone who I can't pronounce. See, Kalfei. Uh, Thank uh, you. Yeah, is who's a, Utopia? She's a Chinese, very young Chinese artist, um, whose uh, film Who's Utopia features factory workers actually yeah. enacting small private fantasies of you know wanting to be maybe a ballerina or a guitar yeah. rock star or something like that. Yeah, um, enacting those things in the aisles of. The, the factory in which they work um, it's very dreamy and beautiful and also cinematic like Shen Shijen's right. work as well so it has a, a connection in the yes. cinematic sweeping aspect to it, it in, 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 but is there a kind of 
I, I, I don't want to diss you know one artist <laughs> over another, but did you feel that that somehow either had more to offer in say in terms of richness of of the work or or in its its dealing with the you know the worker as an issue? I mean, somehow, was that film somehow better than 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 Chen Shui? GJ, I thought you were implying that maybe. Uh, for me, it's it's work that has Calfe's work has has more hope um, in it. Um, I'm not sure it's as, as if you can. I'm being too literal, probably. Yeah, if you're going to talk about it in some kind of analytic way, I think something like Haran Faroqi's work, which has recently been on at um, a gallery called Raven Row in yes, London. Yes. Yes. Um, his work is a much better analysis of the conditions that. Yeah. Underpin factory yeah. work. Yeah. Um, there's a lot it, of found, isn't there found footage in that show? Yes, there's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of found footage. Yeah. Um, which was also, um, if listeners have, have seen that show, that's a, a show that is good to see because it's one of those things that you'll read about and you go, oh, God, uh, factory themed art, that sounds pretty, you know, full on. And you see it and it's, it's, really beautifully crafted and yeah and um no, I, I went to the show it's, it's really, yeah. you need a lot of time to see everything yes hours and hours <laughs> and really hours. a lot of time yeah. i mean there's yeah. four how many floors are there in that building and there's mm, at least three, three works yeah. on each floor I mean, yeah. and they're all time-based i yeah. mean you need a day yeah. <laughs> well i didn't but anyway yeah. <laughs> personally now let colin thanks so much we'll move over to talk also about peter's um review which was of terry smith at the foundling institute uh, I forgot museum, that right? I think. Museum, museum, sorry. To tell us, what what was that? Because that, that's an old building, isn't it? <coughs> yeah, um, well, I suppose first of all I should say what the building is. Uh, it's a museum opened, I think, very you know very recently, a few, re- a few years ago. But it was... The actual thing it's based on is a um, hospital and a home for home, uh, homeless children. <coughs> yes. So, and, that was fa- and that was founded in the 1730s. Right. And uh, the artist Hogarth helped to found it. And then, uh, I think it was one of the very first, if not the first, public picture galleries in Britain. Right, right. So it's got a strange history. So in a way, way, perhaps the point to make is that it was dealing and exhibiting contemporary art for people to see, as it happens, in a a hospital. Which is is very unusual. I mean, I I understand from from someone who works there that I spoke to that they actually are now particularly showing contemporary art in that building again to continue on yeah. that that whole thing that Hogarth set up in, well, in, back, co- back in the 17... 17- I hadn't um, thought about that, really, but uh, that's quite interesting because I think a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of things going on where people install into non-art spaces artworks. Yeah. For example, in the Sound Museum, I think people, people do art shows, contemporary art shows. Yeah, there's one coming up at the Swedenborg... Institute, Institute yeah. as well, which has and got Jeremy Deller and all these people in it. Yeah, I think often they don't. For me, anyway, those kind of shows don't work. But I thought Terry Smith's show did work. Right. And uh, partly it's because he's based it on the theme of the hospital. Yeah. And the history of the uh, museum. But what he's done, he's got basically three parts to his exhibition. The first, well, well, in any order, is a, a, a little series of films shown in a, in a little uh, gallery on its on their own. Then there's uh, a sound piece that lasts eight minutes which uh, consists of vo- uh, a group of... Vo- well, it starts off with a single voice, and then it goes up to eight voices. Yeah. Or nine voices, I think, actually. And that's called um, String. That's a recent piece as well. And then there's a series of photos, which are stills from the, from the films. I, th- I thought those photos were from the original hospital building um, or something which is derelict out in... Well, I think they are. Elstree yeah, they are, but, or somewhere but, weird. But the film, the film also includes footage... 
Well, but, it's quite strange. The yeah. films are quite interesting because there are actually four of them, but I couldn't work out where they stopped and started because yeah. they run back to back. And some of them are in colour and some in black and white, yeah. which kind of matches a little bit what Colin was saying about his um, thing he reviewed, the kind of cutting between different formats. But um, I think the photos... I mean, the for me, the photos are the weakest piece because they just seem like excerpts from... They're the, documentary in a yeah, sense. Yeah, they were just in the cafe. But, yeah, you know, kind of just in the cafe. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't seem to be given the status of the other works. The no, I think you're right. We probably correctly, really. I mean, the film had yeah. a whole room in the basement to itself, didn't yeah. it? Which I, I quite like the way you, you, it wasn't in the. I mean, the building itself is like a. I mean, it feels like a small country house or something. When you yeah, it's got a grand entrance hall with big stairs that go up yeah. with wooden balustrades and things, doesn't it? But um, I've been to uh, exhibitions where, I mean, for example, at the Freud Museum. I can't remember the artist's work now, but um, the artist's name. Sorry, but. Um, when the when the artwork seemed to take over the museum or the gal or the institution, yeah, and you know if you go there to see Freud's study, you see somebody's artwork instead. Yeah, Sarah Lucas are draped yeah, over a and, chair. Yeah, um, I think that can be a pro you know can be a problem. Uh, presumably, it's done to get more people into or different people into the museums. Yes, but yes. I, I think that can be a problem. Maybe we could talk about that uh, later. But. Yeah. You mean artists are being used perhaps by these institutions? Well, the, the, Is that what you mean? Yeah, I'm. I'm saying that for me, the thing that the reason I like Terry Smith's. Um, piece or work was because it seemed to uh, fit well in the museum and not dominate it yeah. but work well with what was going on for example when I was there there was a, an actual choir practicing oh, right. in one of the rooms and apparently this happens a lot because another connection with, uh, for the museum is the uh, composer Handel ah. the music component or history to okay so Terry drew on that perhaps so as he well. drew on that but there yeah. was a, an actual choir that I think was nothing to do with him no but coincidentally yes. in one room because it's funny because the one the sound piece in the entrance yeah. hall which seems to come from above if I remember rightly just yeah, it does, comes yeah. on at about every 10 minutes it's or something doesn't yeah, it it's and it kind of grows doesn't it in sound yeah you, you hear a little noise volume I mean a little uh, kind of one voice and then it builds up to I think yeah. it's nine voices yes but that for me when I was walking around the museum overlapped as it were and coincided with the live because that's a recording with the live um, yeah Voices, so I thought it, you know, and it came and went. It didn't yeah. dominate your looking. It didn't force you to, you know, just concentrate yeah. on that. Well, I remember what one bit of the film that I saw. There, there was a, which I really liked. The, the, the projection is is so that the piece that it's a big projection and it's but it's on the wall yeah. and it actually the bottom of the f of the frame of the thing is on the ground and at one point somebody walks on playing a trombone yeah and, he walks and that was actually filmed in the room where it's shown and it, yeah. i thought the guy was actually there yeah it's very it's it was, actually very, it was very clever way. formally actually yeah. what the hell is it all about but, been, but then when you well i don't know <laughs> well the, one of the one of the subtitles of the of the piece is lost and found Right. And, uh, you know, which is, of course, the theme of the foundling being, you know, someone who's lost or a child who's abandoned. Yes. Who is then um, given a home. Or, That's what know, a foundling yeah. is, yeah. And I think Terry Smith is trying to do that in his work because lots of images of them, the images in the films were footage of, a lot of it was London. Some of it, I think, was Venice, but mainly it was London. And it, apart from the bit with the musician, it was London. And um, there were, I think he was trying to say, I suppose, that, you know, we're all lost and found in the city, you know. Sure. It's a, it's a kind of modern condition. Yeah, yeah. I so, thought it was quite a personal film in that it wasn't yeah. shouting out some theme or trying to, you know, as you said, fit in with the where it was exactly. Apparently, you know, I think you say that, it, that it's an evolving work. That he says yeah. it's... And it was shown in one form in Venice and then it's been re-edited again, I think, for, yeah. for that. Well, but it's using some of the footage... Yeah, and I think it's going to... And he works with a lot of different people, yeah. which I thought was quite interesting. Although it's under his name, obviously. Um, I thought it worked quite well. You know, it seemed coherent. There were... You know, the, I mean, it was quite an open piece, I feel. Uh, hmm. The Im images, they look like... T in a way, like TV images of, um, you know, where the camera pans across a bridge or something in the city and it's night time. They're quite melancholy. Yeah. And I thought... Well, gentle isn't quite the right word, but um, 
I thought it was a nice piece for that space. Yeah. That's why I think yeah. it gave it quite positive. It sounds like both these yeah. films that Colin and you were, were sort of what I would refer to as atmospheric kind of films, yeah. with, you know, where you get a feet, you, you might get drawn into them if you let yourself, you know, be absorbed into the way. It's not like, I don't know, some Lawrence Wiener's text works or something. It's not, you know, which are pretty tough, but poetry or something eventually, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, what am I waffling about? I think. We might move across to talk to Dave okay. as well now, but um, I think you know we, some of what 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 you said. Hopefully, we may draw on again because we're going to be talking a bit about beauty and this. Uh, I mean, I I actually was quite intrigued by, but I, I didn't actually see the Colin the film Colin review, but I did see Terry's thing, and it was this atmospheric mm. film where you don't. It's not like a kind of narrative film with a story, which could be why it's called art. Interests me, and I'm quite interested in, in what, how that fits in with, say, a Scruton definition of of beauty. You know, is Terry's film one that Scruton might like? For instance, would be quite interesting. Doubt it. No. Well, no, that's that. Would, I hope. I'm sure Terry would hate, well, I doubt it. hate it as well. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, no, but you, that's what I want you yeah. to do is to perhaps tell me. So, so Dave, you reviewed this book um, by Roger Scruton, which is just called Beauty. Um, just, just give us an idea to begin with what what you think he was, you know, trying to do with it. Well, in, in order to understand uh, what Roger Scruton's done, you need to understand um, what Roger Scruton has, um, has developed as a kind of career position, really, which is that he, he regards himself as the leading conservative uh, English philosopher. Um, and he writes... Um, he, he writes books that, that take on very unpopular conservative positions and defends them. So, for instance, um, during the um, during the campaign to um, to abolish fox hunting, he wrote a book defending hunting. Um, so he, he, he likes to, to take things on that that are uh, in the um, in the mainstream. Yeah. Where he likes to take the the opposite and the most conservative. And not always thing. art, by the sound of it. Hardly ever art. Right. Um, okay. Even though when he when he, he he's, he's currently writing his uh, memoirs as well, so several books are coming out. Um, right, and he's talking about his lifelong uh, interest in art and music and so forth. And and you know, and um, he, he's he has been engaged with that in one way or another yeah, for a very yeah, long time. Yeah, um, but um, he hasn't been writing about it for a long time. Um, and I think what he's what he's done is he, he's identified a kind of weakness in the left's relationship to beauty or its um its history of um of criticizing beauty um in other words that that, that this long tradition now for 150 years of of modernist left-wing critique of the hegemony of beauty has has kind of been abandoned and so with the absence of, of the voices against beauty i think that scruton has seen an, an opportunity to to try and defend beauty against this this whole history of, of modernism. To scrutinise it. Sorry, I, I wanted to get that in first before <laughs> someone else did. No, sorry. But but th- this thing, just, just to be clear, for, because, you know, that's a quite complicated area we're talking about here. You just said the left is against beauty. Can we tr- can we just try, between all three of us, really, to say what we, what we mean by beauty? I mean, just so... Because I know it's, it's actually a term I find a lot of people won't use... In the left anymore, really. I mean, you don't. I never ever go to an exhibition and hear someone standing next to me who's a left winger going like, "Isn't that beautiful?" I mean, you just don't hear it. Well, I mean, there isn't. Obviously, I, there isn't. I think part of Dave's, as I read, you know, Dave's uh, critique. And this is Peter Sutton. 
Thanks. Um, <laughs> is that, um, Just in case he'd forgotten. You know, there isn't one simple notion of beauty, and, and to use that word, you know, scrutinise, uh, scrutin doesn't scrutinise enough. Right. And he, um, he comes up with a kind of f- uh, false or watered-down or very one-sided definition of beauty. Yeah. He seemed, well, I mean, I haven't read the book, but... I, I, I totally agree with you, Matt. Um, I, I recently put together, edited the, um, the MIT um, Whitechapel book on beauty. Oh, really? Um, Sorry, I didn't and know that. I was... So, so one of my tasks was to was to try and find modern and contemporary artists who'd written things on beauty that could go into the book. Yeah, it was very difficult. I, I to bet find it them. was. I bet very it was. Especially where that, the, where the artists, words. I mean, they, as you said, they might be talking about the subject, but they wouldn't ref- use the word. And they wouldn't use the word. No, exactly, which is very difficult to put it in a book on beauty. It's odd, when they're it? not using the word. Do you mm. th- there's a kind of allergy to it. Do you think a lot of it is the weight that it's people common. give to it, though? It's it's kind of like it's quite easy to say that's beautiful and just use it in a, quite a mundane way, whereas Scruton is using it in a very forceful way. This is something that justifies virtue. This is something that trumps other aspects of art. And I think, to me, beauty is just one one aspect of art that's that's an interesting thing, but it's, it's, not, it's not the be-all and end-all. But do you think it, it is for Scruton? It sounds like he's giving it a certain weight that that I think it p- perhaps doesn't deserve. I don't know. What, what, what's, yeah. what's this virtue? To tell me, to, to, let's, Dave. What is what is he? Because he uses that word. Well, you you do. I, I can't remember if it's you or him or both yeah, of you. Yeah. Well, he he right from the start in the book and all the way through the book, he links up the question of beauty to the question of virtue, and effectively his definition of beauty or, or what he keeps saying about beauty. He never quite defines it, but the thing, the things that he keeps saying in relationship to the concept of beauty are things like modesty, decency and shame. So someone who recognises the beauty of something is involved in a kind of psychological economy where they recognise modesty, decency and shame. Uh, He says that um, if if you give a reason for something being beautiful, you say it is beautiful because, Yeah. then he says the reason that you will give will suggest that your judgment is appropriate or right. Yeah. In other words, he's using ethical language in order to describe the experience of beauty. Um, and is, yeah, sorry, don't sorry, is that something the left wouldn't do then? Well, we we maybe just have a different concept of okay. ethics. Well, so he, I, he says uh, yeah. beauty speaks to us as virtue speaks to us of human fulfilment, not of things that we want, but of things that we ought to want because human nature requires them. Pete, what were you going to say? Go well, on. just well, that, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's com- it's very complicated. <laughs> of course, thing, it but, is. Uh, the, the cru- I mean, I haven't read this book. I mean, Dan's read it, obviously. But um, uh, the whole model of beauty and the, this, the way Scruton writes generally in the things I've read, it seems very certain about everything. You know, it's very certain of his of his views, and it's it seems very modernist. I mean, I think he quote, doesn't he quote some modernist writers, uh, Scruton, of course. But it seems a very modernist position to say beauty and virtue are linked. Because if you read philosophers like uh, Adorno or Lyotard, they say, you know, we're now not sure anymore that goodness and virtue are linked to art and beauty anymore. Okay, and yeah. that's called postmodernism. You, Dave, you mentioned, uh, you say he mentions, I think, Eliot, Ezra Pound um, as, mo- as modernists, but yeah. they're not the same modernists. Right wing modernists. They're right wing, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to me like he's, be- he's behind the times, actually, uh, Scruton, in some ways. Well, yeah, but, but it's almost like, but he wants to be. I mean, well, isn't it? He, I oh, mean, yeah, he, wants- he has to be aware of these. Well, I, th- I think what's sort of timely about reviewing that book is that we're about to step into a position of 
conservative government and I hope c- conservative not. arts policies and the kind of voices that come out of scrutiny's Well, no, absolutely right. No, no. Opinions. I was going to say it did you time know, well at the, the beginning the of the election of, yeah. and then this book pops up. It, it is cra- classic, actually. I, I think we're going to see a, a lot of these kind of comments being floated increasingly and, you know, you need to be able to, well, you no, need to just I, be aware think, of them. I, I think, think that Scruton has written this book in order to, as a kind of handbook, yeah. for right wingers and and I, I can I can definitely imagine cultural policy shifting towards these questions of beauty rather than towards um, you know uh, social regeneration and the other kinds of um, projects that have been going on with culture in the last twenty years or so. Let's hope that the new appointment by I don't know if she's been appointed or not, but you know how the new, the mayor wanted to appoint someone to be in the arts council, the chair of the arts council, and there was all we've had stuff about it in the magazine, but hopefully she won't be reading it. Veronica Wadley, her name is, sorry. <laughs> We've had editorials about it and think it's actually maybe in this issue, actually. And the, the, there's another sense in which he's behind the times as well, which is that the, the, um, the regeneration of interest in beauty started in, in America in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. So with people like Dave Hickey, these people have been um, writing about beauty for quite a long time now, and, and, and he's kind of at the tail end of all of this. But he's... But he's um, he writes about it in a very different way. Uh, pe- people like Dave Hickey write in a very offhand, um, very casual, uh, experiential kind of way. This is this is beautiful to me. Yeah. Get over it. You know. Where, <laughs> whereas um, whereas Roger Scruton is 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 trying to uh, root beauty and the question of beauty and the question of virtue and the question of what is right and what is wrong into a kind of um, tradition of uh, right-wing thinking in this country. Would that be Cl- you remember, Clive Bell wrote about about this, didn't he? Well, that's a good yeah, it's a good answer because the, the Clive Bell thing. It's like you've either got the sensitivity to get the beauty, or you haven't, which is a very right-wing. Well, it was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, notion, like yeah. Thing. It doesn't remind me of that. But so, so it's a very elitist model. It's not saying you, you can learn. Well, perhaps he is saying he's learning. But I found it very elitist that scrutiny, and I, fa- I found it quite. I mean, I think that Dave did a good critique of us for scrutiny, but. You know, I think he gets led off in a way because I think Scru- Scruton uh, needs to be really criticised uh, big time. You know, it, I mean, this again, Dave just pointed this out that the idea that um, you know he kind of gets payments from certain companies and then he writes things promoting the tobacco, product, the tobacco industry tobacco, one. Yeah, I think it is. yeah. You know, it, I can't really understand how he's got this kind of cheat. So Scruton's got the cheat to stand up and pretend he's being natural and neutral as he's. To use two of his terms. No, well, he is obviously a politician. It, I mean, yeah, effectively, he is, isn't he? Really? So he's he's being clever in that way, isn't he? Yeah. Dave, defend yourself because he sort of suggested well, not, you didn't no, give him, you didn't work well, tough I enough to him. I, I mean, it's not enough room in a thousand words, or whatever. But you know, no, 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 it is hard. I mean, it, you'd have to write a big book on him, wouldn't you? I'm not criticising Dave. Really. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we you, Dave, you, you you thought it was important to review him because of all the reasons we're talking about, really, aren't well, you? Well, when when the book came out, I was thinking. Especially with the with the country moving towards the right anyway, that it's likely to get a lot of positive press. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that I think that there's, there are a lot of um, people out there who've been waiting for this book to come along to provide them with the tools. Yeah. To to kind of, if you like, to to overcome contemporary art. You know, to to try and and stick the knife in. And yeah. I think that he provides a lot of tools. Um, and. It's, it seems to me, that, again, you know, um, the idea that he's behind the times. You know, if you if you have been uh, engaged with art seriously over the last 150 years, um, then you would have to conclude 
that beauty has to be treated with suspicion. Not only have artists had to treat beauty with suspicion in order to produce new, uh, interesting work, but just to look at the stuff that's been coming out over the last 150 years, you have to treat beauty with suspicion because if you hold on to traditional ideas of beauty, then a lot of art over that period of time just doesn't make sense. Okay, so in a, what, what uh, Scruton is doing is saying, actually, none of that art does make sense. It shouldn't have been art in the first place. What we've got to do is to, is to turn the clocks back, go back 150 years when it all went wrong, and start from scratch. Let's have art that is beautiful, not art that is interesting, not art that is critical, not art that is subversive, not art that is transgressive. Yeah. Does he mean enlightenment or something like that? I mean, is this all... No, he means beautiful. And, and this goes back uh, to, to your point, which is... Call it coin. Which is, which, which is when you said that maybe beauty does exist, but it's not the be-all and end-all of art. And I think that when you argue that it should be the be-all be and end-all of art, it's because what you're trying to do is to eradicate everything else that art is. And so it, it creates a, a kind of um, a narrowing of possibilities that if your art isn't beautiful, then it's just not going to count as art at all. And then everything else that art might be, or could be, or we might want it to be, then has to be abandoned. I think that thing Dave's just uh, pointed out about the kind of reductive way of writing that Scruton has is very important because I think, I mean, there's a, I think there's a really good line in, uh, towards the end of Dave's review where, where Dave says something like, um, the thing about Scruton's idea of discussion is it's a discussion to stop discussion. It's the truth. Here it is. He's telling you. Yeah. And it's very different to the Dave Hickey Beauty for me is this, this, and this. It's a very uh, a clamber for an objective kind of beauty, and in that sense, it you know it f first of all it's uh, too reductive as, as definition of beauty, and then as Dave's saying, the whole swing of art for Scruton is taken back to one aspect of it, yeah, to one aspect of art, not to its broader. So meanings, a, a it's yeah. back back thinking and it's narrow as well. Yeah, it's not it's not useful, but, is it? But, <laughs> but there, there's, there's there's to me a kind of a, a legible politics to this as well. Not just the, the politics that he that he clearly states in terms of his morality, but there's a, there's a politics behind saying, you know, let's 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 reaffirm beauty. There's too much ugliness in art. Now, what do they mean by that? It's that there's too much diversity. There's too much there's too much critique. There's too much anger. There's too much yeah. difficulty. There's it's too what much he's saying. Yeah, you know, he hates left-wing politics, but he also hates left-wing culture. He hates anything that's critical. You know, he wants affirmation, and affirmation is if you, if you can get an art that, that affirms and is beautiful, then it, then it loses all of these other qualities. But it's got to affirm and and, and say what is beautiful, and in, in, in particular narrow definition though. Well, it, it always, as well. It, it's always going to be that if, you, if you're talking about beauty as opposed to, you know, pleasure, jouissance, you know, all kinds of other... We've got lots of other concepts of yeah. happiness, joy, enthusiasm, and so on and so on. Beauty is the quietest. Beauty is the easiest to handle. Yeah, beauty, beauty is the least transgressive of all of them. And this is, this is his... Right. Uh, this is a politics that is, in, in, if you like, underneath the skin of everything that he's writing. Now, the, the, this return to beauty that we're seeing, you know, uh, over the last 20 years um, has, has, is based on this, this absence of critique now. So, like, what happened basically was that, was that postmodernism um, overshadowed many of the modernist critiques of beauty. Uh, and then we, so we've got this kind of relativism instead. Now, in that 
relativism, there was this possibility that beauty might be one of the things that we could start to reaffirm. Now, with that absence of critique, it then becomes possible for the people who are defending beauty to say, what's gone wrong here? Why, why, why do we have a culture that repudiates beauty? Surely our society has taken a wrong turn if we now are repudiating beauty rather than affirming it. If we're saying, what's wrong with ugliness? We should be saying, what's wrong with beauty? Beauty's good, isn't it? And so what we need to say back to Scruton is that society hasn't gone wrong if it's suspicious of beauty. Society has gone wrong if it can't stand ugliness, monstrosity, difference and savagery and all the other kinds of problematic things in the world. If you have to have beauty in order to have goodness, then you've got the wrong kind of goodness. It's also interesting to see, apart from sort of deflecting his ethical position, just to see whether there's actually, there is any connection between virtue and beauty or that form of connection between beauty and ethics and I think his position is actually just wrong that it's it's not there in that in that way it's it's something that you can use if you want to you can you can find a beauty and you can employ it in a certain way but I, I don't think there is this connection which he's drawing from classical philosophy from maybe Aristotle or something like that I don't know I'm not a classical philosopher but there is that sort of feeling that he is drawing upon these ancient ideas of the connection between what is right the idea of the the symmetry of beauty and the symmetry of how to live well and their their aesthetic considerations of how you exist and what things should be which don't really make sense they're just this old-fashioned viewpoint that has been trailed off from 2,000 years of philosophy that doesn't have any kind of necessity to it and that has been contested, as Dave says, for the last 150 years with good reason. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it is to say... It, it doesn't. His argument doesn't actually make any sense. Of course, <laughs> of course, this book's been refuted many times over the last 150 years before it was written. Yeah. Um, I think I think the best refutation of this book is by uh, Alain Badiou in his book on ethics, and um, the, what's it? What's what's to, they, they're kind of mirrors of each other in a sense, because Alain Badiou's book is is about ethics, but it's ultimately about um, aesthetics. Um, but a kind of inverted aesthetics. At one point, he talks about the the problem with the philosophy of happiness, with this philosophy of living well and so so forth. But also the the, um, the philosophy of beauty. Um, and the problem with happiness, he says, if you have a philosophy based on on happiness or trying to achieve happiness, then he says you're a nihilist because what you're actually trying to do is obliterate all the things that are not happiness. And he says, if you do obliterate all of these things that are not happiness, you'll be obliterating suffering, care, and perseverance. You'll be obliterating how we deal with the non-beautiful, how we live with the non-happy. So it's a denial. So there's a kind of denial running through. I mean, it's it's based on a denial structure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, that goes back to um, what I mentioned before. Actually, the you know the kind of debates between the debates about the Enlightenment and post-Enlightenment, or modernity and postmodernity, and the idea that um, 
it, well, you know, the very, very famous uh, book published in the forties by Adorno and Horkheimer called Dialectic of Enlightenment, where they argue that the the Enlightenment model of a good society for all, and uh, by you know using science and reason to eradicate all sorts of all the problems, that that what what Adorno and Horkheimer say, as I understand it, is that that very model must lead to a kind of fascism because it's as they said, it's getting rid of all the complexities. You know, anybody with a disability is going to have to be... Yeah, or if they're Jewish. You know, or they, they don't fit the bill, basically. They're not... So that, that's, I think, why it is important to attack that, the scrutiny book, because it's so horribly right-wing and closed-minded. Close but it's probably written, and I, I haven't read it, but I imagine it's written in, a, in this kind of clever way where the extreme that you're, reciting, you're saying is underlying it is actually not really that apparent to anybody who's not... You know, say to someone who's inexperienced and young and, and, and is at art school, say, picking up books and reading them to try and find out about what they should be thinking about. I mean, it, it wouldn't all be that obvious. He's quite clever. Is he, Dave, do you think? Well, he's, if, you don't, if you don't know how to, uh, how to pick those things out of the book, then, then I guess he would be. That's what I mean. I, I'm talking about quite but, naive. But he's, he's, he's actually quite brutal about, about what he attacks. You know, at one point he says... Uh, do I leave others unharmed when I stupefy myself with pop music? Oh, yeah. Now, most young people would scream at that. I yeah, think. no, no, that's actually not going to do much good, is it, really, when they get so. to that bit? <laughs> so so this, this, this anger and hatred that runs right the way through his book um, is, is, I think, already going to kind of warn people as to what's actually underneath it, um, uh, that this is a very ugly book. Which is quite interesting, really, because if I've understood what you're saying, he's against, he doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want anger and ugliness. <laughs> but he is angry and ugly, in a way. He's on the defence of society, you know, <clears throat> trying to bring a society that probably never existed in the way he fantasises it. Mm. And secondly, the world, I mean, as I understand, I, know that I haven't read the book either, you know, but as I understand it, um, Scruton seems to write as though there's no morality in modern art at all, or contemporary art. You know, it's all been lost because art's ugly. But you could, I mean, surely you can have a, an art practice that's, if it's disaffirming, dis rather, as opposed to affirming, that is doing good. You know, a critical practice is to correct the wrongs in yeah. culture. Yeah, rather than, to, rather than just ignoring rather than, them. Rather than pretend they're not, you know. They don't exist yeah. or, or that they're, yeah. You have to mention them somehow. Hmm. Interesting. Sorry, we've come to a small pause. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's also interesting to see what... You know, I also haven't read the book, but what kind of art does he defend? I mean, I mean you've, you've mentioned some of the... T.S. Eliot, Ezra Pound... Edward uh, this, Hopper. Uh, Edward Hopper. Um, you know, alarm bells ring in my head when I see various exhibitions that are, are put together um, on certain themes, one of them being nature... And it's you, you know that there's going to be a sort of a leveling out of of everything onto what looks nice, yeah. what's what's beautiful in some way. And it's it's interesting to see where he might be going in a sort of concrete way with, I, I, with that. I think I think it, I think it's even clearer than that. I think he's identified the right wing artist of modernism, and he's saying let's rewrite the history of art in terms of those right wingers. Listen, guys, it's been great. We've done a little extra added on part for the podcast here. We're We've got to finish now because they're going to do the next programme live and we're in the same studio as they do it. But thanks ever so much, Peter Suchin, Colin Perry, 
Dave Beach and uh, the, you listeners as well. This is Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM and uh, we really love you to come back and listen again. We come out once a month and as you know we publish Art Monthly magazine and that's available and our website is www.artmonthly.co.uk.